It's Mick on the mic, and you're listening to the Cults and Crime Podcast, where we do a deep dive into the ideologies and crimes of known cults and sects. Please note that today's episode includes violent and sexual themes, which may make some listeners uncomfortable. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome, friends, to episode 4, FLDS Part 1. Today's episode will be part of a multi-part series. In this episode, we will focus on the background of the FLDS, and with each installment, we will dive a little deeper into the crimes and life of those involved. A quick disclaimer. The FLDS is a religious sect, meaning it is a group of religious extremism and should not be grouped with other religions. It is only related to the Church of Latter-day Saints in origin and should not assume that the people who attend the Church of Latter-day Saints have the same values and rules as the FLDS. Actually, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not recognize the FLDS as associated with the Church at all. Please walk this world with understanding, an open mind, and respect for all religions. And please listen with care. On to the episode. The FLDS, a.k.a. the Fundamentalist Church of Latter-day Saints, was formed around 1980 when Mormon leaders, a.k.a. leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, vowed to abandon polygamy to reach a deal with the United States government to gain statehood for Utah. Those who did not want to give up their polygamist ideals branched off and formed a separate group that became the FLDS we know today. For those of you who may not be aware, polygamy aka plural marriage, is, in this case, the practice of a man marrying multiple women. We'll get into the religious significance of this practice a little later in the episode. The FLDS religion is based off of scripture from the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. However, the two declarations at the end of the Doctrine and Covenants are not accepted by the FLDS as they go against polygamy and are inclusive to people of color. The FLDS believes their members should be, quote, white and not associate with, quote, blacks. To this day, most FLDS members reside on the Utah-Arizona border, which historically has allowed members to escape police interference by crossing state lines. FLDS clusters also existed in El Dorado, Texas, Manco, Connecticut, Boise City, Oklahoma, Cluster County, South Dakota, and bountiful British Columbia, which sits on the U.S.-Canadian border. However, members exist all across the world. At its height, the FLDS had approximately 10,000 members, and today it has approximately 3,000 still. The first leader I could identify for the FLDS was Leroy Johnson in 1954. He reigned until 1986, where the torch was passed on to Rulon Jeffs for more than 15 years. Rulon changed the leadership structure of the FLDS by abandoning a council-like approach to a single leader model, with himself being at the head. Rulon died in 2002 at the age of 92, leaving behind approximately 75 wives and 65 children. At this time, leadership was then taken over by his son, Warren Jeffs, who is the present leader of the FLDS. Today, we're going to focus on the FLDS under Warren Jeff's rule. 
Warren Jeffs was born in 1955 as the son of FLDS leader Rulon Jeffs. Warren was not the oldest son in the family, but he was touted as their golden child as he was born two months premature and survived. During childhood, he was encompassed by the FLDS, and in adulthood worked as the principal for Alta Academy, an FLDS private school, for more than 20 years. Warren was extremely active in the church, and when Rulon started suffering from health issues, Warren was positioned as his successor, assisting him as his right hand when he suffered a stroke, and then taking over as church leader fully when Rulon passed in 2002. Thus, Warren became the new prophet. The church's direct link to God, relaying God's messages to his followers, controlling rules, regulations, and property owned by the church. Upon his father's death, Warren wished to protect and support Rulon's widows, his stepmothers, and therefore married all but two who left the church on Rulon's passing. FLDS teachings under Warren Jeffs cover all aspects of everyday life, including what to wear, who to speak to, what activities are allowed, marriage, childbearing, and education. Many members lived on compounds of secluded FLDS communities. However, there were other members that lived freely in their own communities in the outside world, but lived by the FLDS doctrine. Basic FLDS rules under Warren Jeffs sounds like a mix of Footloose and The Handmaid's Tale, if you're familiar. They included prohibiting sports, organized gatherings, dancing, holidays, TV, books, dogs, magazines, newspapers, camping, fishing, swimming, and flying the American flag. Alcohol and coffee were not banned, but discouraged, however many leaders imbibed. Women were to wear dresses or skirts, no pants, with long hair typically worn in a puff-like fashion, high in the front with a braid or a ponytail in the back. Long hair has a religious component, as women were taught they were to use their hair to wash Jesus' feet at the second coming. Dresses must hang below the knee with long stockings or trousers underneath, and sleeves had to also be long. Men were to wear plain clothes with long collared shirt and pants. Tattoos and piercings were prohibited for both men and women. Racism was prevalent in the FLDS, as was homophobia. As per the FLDS priesthood class of 1995, quote, Cain was cursed with a black skin, and he is the father of Negro people. He is used by the devil as a mortal man to do great evils. If you, young people, were to marry a Negro, you could not be a priesthood person, even if you repented. You could not stay in this work. Another quote from a sermon given by Warren Jeffs in 2001 reads, The people grew so evil, the men started to marry the men, and the women married the women. This is the worst evil you can do, next to murder. It's like murder. Whenever people commit that sin, then the Lord destroys them. In 2002, Warren established Jeff's Academy, where followers renounced worldly possessions to the group and attended classes on religion and how to be worthy of salvation, culminating in baptism and indoctrination into what was called the United Order. The United Order was a high order or the in-group of the FLDS. If members weren't candidates for the United Order, they were dubbed conditional members and placed in their own living quarters, away from United Order members. 
Even families would be split based on this hierarchy. There are also stories of a hierarchy inside the United Order of the prophet at the top, church leaders, chosen followers, and then members, and that members were treated differently based on their status. For example, former members stated church leaders ate lavish meals of meat and turkey, while lower-level members ate peasant meals of rice and beans. Allegedly, a house of 40 people who were considered on the lower rungs of the hierarchy lived off of noodles, rice, tomato juice, and if they were lucky, some bread and yogurt. As per the FLDS, a man needs at least three wives to be eligible to enter the celestial kingdom, which is the basis of their polygamist ideals. It is believed by the FLDS that there will be an end times event where God will raise up the worthy FLDS followers while the world is set aflame, and then they will be safely placed back onto the earth in the holy city of Zion. Warren as prophet played matchmaker and assigned wives to their husbands. He would also decide if a wife was to be reassigned to another husband if a complaint was forwarded by her current husband that was deemed worthy enough or had enough merit to warrant their wife being moved. The reasons given for reassignment were typically a loss of faith or not following religious rules as outlined by the FLDS. Wives were expected to keep sweet, a phrase coined by Rulon Jeffs, which meant to not complain and stay obedient to their husbands. As per a sermon by Warren in 2005, quote, the woman, if she is not careful, will be overbearing and always ask permission for what she wants. And ladies, build up your husbands by being submissive. On the other side of the coin, young men were often banished from the church as they were viewed as competition for elder members who wanted to accumulate many wives. Taking young men out of the running left more young women available to be married in polygamous groupings. In the Doctrine and Covenants, there exists a law called the Law of Sarah, which requires women to prepare each other for sexual encounters with their husbands. A former member dubbed it a, quote, sex show, where multiple wives would engage in sexual acts in front of their husband as a sort of foreplay before intercourse. If wives refused to participate, they were sent away to, quote, redeem themselves, and their children would be taken from them and given to other members of the church. In 2011, the church changed the rules around sexual intercourse and reproduction. All members were expected to be celibate, except for 15 chosen seed bearers who were the higher members in the church. Unless a man is a seed bearer, he cannot have sex with his wife. Instead, a husband can hold his wife's hand while she is inseminated by a seed bearer. This act directly contradicts the Book of Mormon, which indicated polygamy exists solely for the procreation purposes so prohibiting men from having intercourse with their wives directly goes against church scripture. It's unknown how long this rule was in place, but ex-members state it didn't last very long. To illustrate aspects of day-to-day -day life of members living within an FLDS compound, I'm going to share the story of Kate and May. For context, this story takes place after Warren Jeffs was arrested in 2006. To this day, Warren is still considered the prophet and the leader of the FLDS, he communicates with members from jail, however, the on-the-ground, in-person leader in Warren's stead is his brother, Lyle Jeffs. We will go more in-depth on Warren's crimes in later episodes. 
Kate and May both lived on an FLDS compound called Jeff's Block, located in Hilldale, Utah, surrounded by 10-foot-tall walls. Kate lived in Lyle's home and worked as the cook for the family inside the house, as well as for other members who lived nearby who came to the house for meals. May lived in other housing nearby and worked in the bakery. Lyle's home was Warren's house, given to him to use while Warren was in prison. Called the big house by other members, the building was two stories high and approximately 10 times the size of the average American home. Kate and May's day, along with all other members, started before 5.30 a.m. as this was the time everyone was to gather for scripture lessons given by Lyle. After lessons, the girls' workday began, and Lyle would often leave the compound, returning just before lunch. May would report to the bakery, making bread primarily for Lyle's family. Others worked there as well, and May did state she had a friend there, but they could only communicate by passing notes, as Lyle forbade them from speaking aloud to one another. Kate worked as a full-time cook, cooking meals for Lyle and his family, as well as those who lived near the house. Kate stated Lyle did not eat with the others, not with the men or older boys in the dining room, or with the women and children upstairs. He often took his meals alone and requested more lavish and indulgent meals of steak, shrimp, and cakes. A typical meal for other members would often consist of food like tacos or tilapia and rice, without extra courses or dessert. In addition to being a full-time cook, Kate, with a 7th grade education at the time, also taught 3rd grade math, English, and priesthood to the boys at the compound. She also handled cleaning the house, which was a constant chore, and cleaning the resident houses monthly. Both Kate and May were also expected to sew clothing for the members of the compound, producing at least one men's shirt or one women's prairie dress per week. They were also required to write to Warren in prison on a regular basis. As members of the compound, the girls were expected to follow certain rules set out by Lyle. They were not to do anything without Lyle's permission. They were allowed to leave the compound, however, it required a pass card or notification from the security office which in turn required Lyle's permission. Lyle needed to know where they were going, why they needed to leave the compound, and who they may see while they were out before approving their leave. As you may have guessed, the girls were both a part of the higher membership of the church, the United Order. As members, they had to pass an interview on a monthly basis, conducted by Lyle and two male counselors. Questions included asking if they had bad feelings about other members, if they continued to honor Warren as prophet, and if they had touched themselves, quote, inappropriately. May was kicked out of the United Order a few weeks after moving to Jeff's block after one of these interviews where she confessed to watching movies and listening to music made by people outside the church. She ultimately left in 2014. Kate was also kicked out of the United Order in 2013 and then left the church entirely two years later. Today, Katie is 27 years old and May is 25. They both hope to get their GEDs and go to college. That's it on the FLDS for today. This will be a multi-part series that will cover the crimes of Warren Jeffs and other aspects of the FLDS. We've only just covered the tip of the iceberg. Thank you so much for listening.
If you or someone you know was involved with the FLDS, either living on compound or living in their own homes, and would like to share their story, you can send me an email at cultsandcrime at gmail.com. That's C-U-L-T-S-A-N-D-C-R-I-M-E at gmail.com. You can also send me an email if you have any corrections for the episode or if you'd just like to send me a message. You can remain completely anonymous and you do not have to share your voice on the air. Also, a big thank you to all of you who continue to listen despite my schedule change. I know I love a podcast that releases weekly or bi-weekly episodes, but right now there's so much on my plate that this just is impossible. So thank you for supporting the show and still listening through this temporary change. Episodes will continue to be released on a monthly basis, and hopefully in mid-November I will be able to commit to a bi-weekly model again. If you want to keep tabs on the show and see info about upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Facebook at Cults and Crime and on Instagram at Cults and Crime No Spaces. If you want to throw some money in the tip jar, I'll also link to my Red Circle donation page. Just click support this podcast and then one-time donation. If you can't toss a tip my way, no worries. The best way to support the show is to continue listening to episodes and share the podcast with friends. You can also rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use to help us reach more listeners like you. All reference materials used for today's episode will be listed in the show notes. See you in October for the next one.